Hi Michael, hallo Michael. Uh, we, Hi. My, my old friend, I, I realized today that we have almost known each other for 30 years. We met in 91 in the summer, so it's almost 30 years. It's incredible, man. At the, yes, that's of English, Lake Constance, is that yeah, it? Yeah, Lake yeah. Constance. Yes, that was fun. A yeah. fun time. Yeah, and so this is this, the first time I have a uh, non-English speaking uh, guest here. And uh, so we're going to... But I do speak English. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. Not native speaker. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll just try this in English and I'm sure it's funny. It's going to be funny. <laughs> yeah, so we started out at Lake Constance, right? And met there yeah. and you... Um, I think I told you, but you've, you become, became like a really big uh, influence and sort of like a uh, maybe unwanted uh, mentor to me by uh, we played together and you had like this, uh, you still have this uh, amazing musical taste and uh, music collection and you introduced me to a lot of great music and I was a big fan of your, uh, your tapes from the 80s, the Sonic Asteroids and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, early 90s i think they were must have been pretty new at the time really yeah okay I, but i'm i'm not really sure yeah no. so so i when i got to know you well i got to know you as a creative person and as a guitarist and uh, like but from the very beginning you were using uh like on the guitar craft course where we met met you only played an acoustic guitar but when you were uh playing for yourself let's say you were always using electronics and uh and that was also like a huge huge influence on me how you how you used electronics and how can you tell us a little bit about your personal history of uh, playing the guitar the electric guitar and uh, how you then got into looping and stuff um well i'm almost 67 now so uh, I, I thought about this this night because for some reason I had some pizza with too much cheese and I couldn't sleep very well and um, and I thought about uh, what I could tell you and if I uh, realized I play guitar I've been playing guitar for 50 years uh, uh, something like that more or less um, Actually, more than that, I started with 14, so that was 1968, um, playing a very uh, humble um, classical guitar at the time. And then my father took me away from that because I became too... My grades at school were going down, but I think it didn't have to do anything with that. But he took me off the, the uh, lessons and then... I restarted playing guitar like two or three years later by myself. Um, and uh, I, I started having, uh, doing sessions with friends and, and, you know, in the basement and, and very, at the time we were already um, playing very strange music. You know, we didn't care about playing blues, never. Um, so, with very humble equipment, um, we improvised, we did all sorts of, that was in the early 70s, so there were lots of influences by 
uh, avant-garde music like like Stockhausen and people like that and uh, early jazz rock and and we played all this kind of thing and I didn't have an electric guitar at the time I had a 12 string acoustic guitar that I I um, I got that because um, I was totally hooked uh, by early Genesis you know listening to um, this amazing 12 string polyphonic stuff from Trespass, from one of the early Genesis albums. Um, and I thought, this is it. And then I had this 12-string, and I had a pickup, uh, you know, extra shallow, you know, the shallow pickup. And I had a, I had a Grundig tape recorder that I used as an amplifier with the 12-string guitar. So that was my first electric guitar. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then I don't know. In the mid seventies or so, I I I bought a, a Gibson SG from somewhere, and it was later stolen from out of my car because I was stupid. Um. So that was that, and and uh, even in the early seventies, uh, King Crimson was one of my favorite bands. Jen is, you know, what people listened to at the time. And, and uh, but Fripp was like, he was like my guitar god at the time. But also other people um, who, who contributed different styles. And uh, um, so uh, I think at the, it was the eight, end of the 70s, I... I um, I heard him doing Frippotronics uh, on records because <clears throat> he didn't come to Europe with that. Actually, I was in '79. I was in in America on vacation with a close friend, and we knew that Robert Fripp was doing Frippotronics a tour in, in North America tour at the time, but there was no internet and we didn't know when he was playing where, so we, and we couldn't find that out. So we it turned out we always missed him closely. <laughs> so I never saw that. Um, anyway, um, I thought that was just the greatest thing ever. And um, I had a Revox A77 um, and my friend had another one, so uh, maybe you can. I don't know if you can see them in the back. They 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 have their yeah. they have their their lids on, so uh, they don't have their wheels. But um, so uh, I started finding out how to do that, and I I um, I did my first Frempotronics gig in. I'm not sure when. I think in 1980 or something, and and then a few times. You know, I played with some kind of a punk band at the time, and and did a Frippotronics intro. Um, well, that was that. Yeah. And then uh, I, I sort of kept that. I I kept these machines, and and um, although one of them belonged to my friend, so I eventually bought another one and. And uh, and I uh, and I did my first f um, more recent Frippotronics gig um, 
in uh, 2013 in Paris, I think, or in Cologne, I'm not sure, both, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because it was the 50th year of this technology, because it was invented in Paris in 1963 uh, uh, by some technician in Paris uh, for Terry Riley, who did this as the first person ever. And so uh, on a live looping festival, in Paris, uh, I sort of uh, celebrated the 50th anniversary of, of Repertronics, of this technology. Uh, interesting. So there was a, a pretty huge gap between uh, not using it anymore, like it probably in the late 80s, you know, when digital delays became available and probably you, you didn't touch the reel-to-reel -reel machine anymore. And then out of just uh, the anniversary and probably curiosity, you brought it back. Well, well and I, I, I witnessed yeah. one of those performances. Yes, that's, that's true. Yeah, I didn't touch it for quite a while. I had a, I had cheap, uh, cheap, uh, what was it? I think early digital loopers that sounded like not very good. And I, I used that for quite a while. And then I, around... 1990, I got this um, uh, uh, this parad paradise pa paradise. Actually, is the Swiss looper paradise looper, which is the predecessor of the Gibson Echoplex uh, loop machine, which is like the still the the about one of the best, I think, yes. because yeah. yeah, yeah. So from 1990, I used that. Uh, as my main looper and looping state with me. So uh, I, I always love doing that. Um, yeah, I, I found that your your use of that technology was by, you know, by that time already very intuitive and also uh, much less about the original Frippertronics way of having things static because like with the, with the Paradis de delay, you could do the octave up and down and stuff like that right and sure. and yeah. and the and the, the the i think you were well i don't know when it really started this this idea of glitch right and but you were one of the really early ones uh, that i experienced doing doing that in a in a performance uh, in a performative way let's say and um yeah maybe yes <coughs> there were a few others really yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm not saying that you were the only one, but like mm -hmm. in my in my um, uh, me being, uh, you know, kind of like thrown into that river of of uh, what you can do with digital technology. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think you were you were the first that I I saw that do, and I I, I kind of like like that because the original idea of the looping is of looping is sort of or can be very um very boring in a way if you're thinking about it it's not i mean it's for, for me like emotionally it's not because mm -hmm. I, I i like repetitive music and and i like uh like minimal music and i know that you are also like a, a, a big right. fan and admirer and you sort of like grew up um with that music somehow you know you and i was just right. thinking you have the the great advantage to be uh old enough and young enough at the same time, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, like I see, know what you mean. Yeah. Yes, I, like in the nineties. 
in the 90s, I played with a band, uh, a small trio, and we, we actually played pieces like Red and also Dange Thrace, a piece that you know very well. And, yeah. and, and they were both really good musicians, and they could play it like, let's play Red. Okay, they, they listened to it, and next time we played it, and it was ready. It was like perfect. And um, and these guys were much younger than me, and and uh, and and they for some reason they listened to progressive rock stuff like Gentle Giant, and 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 I I could always say I've seen these guys live, you know, all of them, and yeah. many times, not just once, yeah. and yeah. so I really felt um, pretty. Um, what do you say? I'm happy to be that old, really. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what the definition of a generation really is. Yeah. But when I look at you and me and people I work with, like students of mine or friends of mine that are uh, 10 years younger or 15 years younger or five years younger or eight years younger, I, I can I now get a little bit of a sense what a generation really kind of could be. And it seems like you are just like one generation say maybe eight years behind somebody like Fripp or something like that. So you were already uh, capable of grasping what he was doing while he was still young. And, yep. and, and I think that's, that, that's why, um, well, it's not that I, that I have to say I see you as somebody, but like you're, there's certainly like this, this lineage of how, how um, uh, certain information is being processed by later generations, and uh, I I find your your playing even though sometimes you get this <laughs> you get the frip thing, but um, but you also have something very unique about how you compose and you have a huge uh, I and really haven't I haven't really been following that closely uh, in the last twenty years, but you've always been making music right. There has, has never been, like, a, as far as I remember, never been a longer phase where you have not been experimenting uh, with some sort of new technology or musical instrument or, or even, you know, uh, you've always worked with your guitars. And uh, so what, what, I, what have you been putting out recently? <laughs> I was afraid you would ask that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually... I find that I'm um, excited with too many things, and I've always been like that. It's it's when I, when I look at YouTube, you know, your your career can we say feels much more like focused and very. Um, you're doing this thing, you're doing lots of things, but it's more. It feels more like. You really concentrate on this thing, and you're doing it, and doing it really, you know, really exciting things that you're putting out. And when I look at myself, I think I'm not like that. You know, I, I'm admiring that when people can do that, but I'm, um, I'm like, um, there are so many amazing things that I I get drawn to. And there are simply too many of them, so I, I, I'm not really focusing on the one thing, and I'm, I'm not really even focusing on looping with the guitar. There's just, there's just one of them, mm -hmm. and and um, I, I can do some of that. I can do it to some extent, but it doesn't really feel like this is 
the thing I'm doing because there are, I don't know, 27 other things that I'm equally trying to do and none of them very good. And also uh, on top of that or on bottom of that, I am not, I never tried and never even thought about, uh, I'm turning down the volume a little, um, I'm not, I've never thought about trying to be a professional musician. Um, and even before Robert Tripp told me, he did tell me that, uh, as he probably tells everyone, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I gave him proudly, I, I gave him my first CD, you know, Escape Lupity, which was uh, in the mid 90s. Uh, and uh, I gave that to him and he took it and looked you know, briefly at it, and then he said, you know, um, you shouldn't become a professional musician without even knowing what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. because uh, that's so hard. It's really very hard, and um, you have to do, if you really have to do it, then okay, then do it, but otherwise, just take it as a hobby. You have a beautiful hobby, and and do, do that. And that's how I lived. I, I'm living as a programmer. I'm, I earn my money as a freelance programmer, and I find that this is much easier than trying to live as a musician. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a good programmer. I'm just, I think I consider myself, you know, I have a very limited range of what I'm doing, and I find some customers who want that and they're happy with what I'm doing. So, but sometimes or very often that doesn't leave very much time for making music. And at, at the moment it's like that. I'm, I have a customer who wants lots of things and he pays me money and it's really nice. I'm happy that he does. But um, I find myself making music like sometimes for an hour or two. So um, I'm not really, I would be more happy maybe if I could be more productive and really put a product out like a complete composition or a range of compositions on an album but that doesn't happen very often uh, you know but, but as as you just said you're you're probably more a more holistic artist than just a musician uh, in a way where uh, and I I I'm just saying it out loud now. I think like those two hours of music that you make, they're probably good in a way, right? Like not, not yeah. you know, not. We don't know which standard to apply, but they they have it has something, and that's kind of like what I what I really like about uh, an independent artist. Like you just described who what you do. Like you have a job, you make money, you're free to um, make music if you have the time or if you force yourself. To uh, be up at night you know, for two more hours, you could be making you could be making music every night, right? Mm-hmm. But you choose yeah, not to, and that's that's yeah. really and that's really uh, kind of like a, a a perfect situation to be in in a way. And I yeah. have I have always thought like when I started out making music and I had no catalog, let's say, and you already had like hours and hours of, of because music. Because I'm out. older. I'm yeah, I know, sim- I know, I know. Simpler. Yeah. Yeah, simply old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but it was it was always just uh, sort of like uh, it was fascinating because then I, I visited you again, and then you had like some other tape from 1984 that I could listen to. You know, like it was always something else, and 
and I find that I find that inspirational and and so just so to, to kind of like uh, close this thought, do you even consider yourself to be a musician or do you see your your life or your life's tasks let's say in a more uh, general way like your interests I, I think that they definitely extend beyond purely the musical so. they do certainly I'm not considering myself a musician it, it would be just a label mm -hmm. and and um, one thing is I don't even have the because I never really care that's that's something interesting about me possibly that I never really cared to really learn what I'm doing as a musician. You know, I, I learned some, I have some idea of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm more like, you know, Brian Eno considers himself a non-musician because he didn't, he didn't have the training, the classical training. And uh, I don't have the, well, I have some classical training, but it's not really much. Um, so what I'm doing is more intuitive, and I actually I like it that way, if consciously. And and um, so anyway, what I'm considering myself is I don't know what I am, but it's so working as programmer is part of it, making music is part of it. It means a lot, but there are many other things that are important to me, and possibly more important than music. So, um, for instance, uh, spirituality, you know, whatever that means, it's something that seems to be important that, that is in my mind more often than music. And, um, and I spend time with it um, doing various things. And um, so making music is just one aspect. So what, what is spirituality? Well, <laughs> I mean, how do you define it? I, mean, I was I was thinking that the uh, I I really see you as a person who is a great friend, um, and I think a great friend to many. Like this is this is uh, well, you could just say you are very friendly, right? And uh, and that that I I see that as like a, a big part of who you are. And and that leads to some sort of community uh, as well, because I, I well and I don't know, but you to me it always seemed as if you are quite active in uh, in uh, not act well not actively holding groups together, but somehow you've been part of circles of people that have like kind of like similar interests. And I remember that that the chain uh, chain tape thing and collective yeah, yeah, yeah. Collective. <laughs> yes and then obviously the loopers uh, community and mm -hmm. and that has been something you've been involved in like actively like for 30 years or something right yeah yeah, yeah but spir spirituality spirituality um well that's something very personal and personally different for everyone i guess and um, to me it's just my personal uh thing that has to do with becoming conscious you know in a general sense i think spirituality is about becoming conscious and that could include music it's i think for robert fripp is who is a very spiritual person music is uh, his tool of choice or his 
the way he he uh, materializes um, the things he's learning in this on the spiritual level. So uh, it could be that, and um, but it's not. Uh, it's something that feels to me like. Um, Um, it's not a, it's not a, any, anyway, it's not a straightforward thing that you, you learn like, like harmony or something or playing an instrument and you, it's a linear, some kind of linear development to me, at least it's not at all. It's like, um, stuff is happening and it feels like it's coming from outside more or less or it's in my body or it's some some kind of a all the conditioning i got from my parents all the all the problems you know all the bag that i'm carrying like like everyone that, that's a very specific set of um, uh, um conditioning that i that i received and that i have to deal with and that formed my personality and the way I'm handling that follows a certain path that I didn't, that I, I at some points I thought I understood what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm losing that uh, again. So it's changing quite a bit. Uh, um, and um, it, it feels like, it feels like something that's going on on an unconscious level, um, like a river that's that's sometimes above the ground and sometimes it's underground, and then you think, where is it gone? And it's it's gone, and you lost it, and you you keep walking, and then it, maybe you find it again because it comes back uh, to above the ground, and um, that's what it feels like, and. Many things are happening in my spiritual development that is that are hard to explain or put into words. Uh, it, except maybe for people who do similar things and who are close to me and who somehow know what I'm talking about to some extent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you think that spirituality is something that one needs to develop, as you say, like, or is it something that is there, probably. And it's part of our being human. Um, yeah. And it's there, like like the sun rises in the morning and it's there. So, but not, it's not for everyone. So many people are not, for instance, my wife is, you know, who's a wonderful, wonderful person, but she's not into that, you know, she, she's, she's going, her own process is going somewhere else and it's perfectly, it's great. And some people um, develop that for some reason, uh, and they—they—it's not—it's definitely not something one should do. Or I think it's something you you go to when you feel like uh, this is interesting, and I feel drawn to it. Then you can, mm -hmm. then people start, you know, taking this up and doing something. 
just like making music on many people are not interested in making music at all and they they are great people or can be and and um, it's something similar it's a it's a possible side of our humanity okay so how if you can make music how how do you make spirituality Well, um, it's uh, to some extent you can you can um, you become awake enough to notice when you're not making spirituality spirituality. So, so if you if you're watching yourself, if you're watching all your mechanisms. And the way you function in the world and you, you interact with people. If you're watching yourself when you wake up in the morning, first thing when you wake up, the very first thing, are you going into a movie of thoughts uh, about this and that and problems and, uh, and you forget yourself? Or are you consciously there and you're awake uh, and, and you notice that you're lying in bed and and you're watching yourself so that's there's a difference and then but it's actually if you look at it very closely it's not something that you can do i believe actually that actually you cannot do anything you know actually i'm not believing in anything that's remotely like free will i think we are all completely conditioned and anything that we can do is something that comes out of this interplay between conditioning and this other thing. There's another aspect of us that's um, that's not conditioned, that's completely free, but it's not something that can ever belong to our ego personality, but it's something that is somewhere out of that that's more many people call it soul maybe you know but then it's it's difficult you know juggling with all these uh, ideas because yeah. actually the thing is about going beyond ideas and in going into this immediate thing you know the and and being with that and and not uh, being in this virtual reality that's our thinking, uh, which is going on all the time, like people listening to the radio all the time. But that's that's something that, you know, many people would agree with that, I guess, who do some kind of spirituality, but the way you do it is very personal. The, you know, if you, for instance, if you have a practice, if you meditate every morning, or if you don't, if you take, mind expanding drugs or if you don't or if you i don't know uh whatever um there's so many different ways to do it and and anyone has to find one's own yeah. um, path to that i think a, a good metaphor that you already used is the one of the the bags or the baggage right and uh yes. I, i've um i once heard a someone say or i read it somewhere that like anything that you can imagine to put into that bag 
right is not you right and you you because you can you could take that back from off your shoulder and put it in front of you and you can look at it and you can talk and what is what remains basically could be could be you or whatever or um and i i yeah. sort of like hear that idea from from what what you're saying there yeah yeah and like from for me certainly music has been uh, a big part of that uh, um kind of like a uh, i don't want to call it a tool but um uh, maybe a material that i interact with in order to uh to gain some more knowledge about myself and you know that's mm -hmm. also like one of the, the the things that i sometimes say is that i think like the music that you listen to when you were a child it's always worth revisiting because it's really probably like your oldest your oldest friend who's still alive and and you have this very long relationship and you can see kind of like in relation in a relationship to that music you can see how you have changed or what kind of understanding you have gained over the years yeah yeah and um and so you you were uh talking about um and I actually had this in, in an interview with uh, Carlos Sorabi uh, a few weeks ago, um, talking about um, LSD, for example. Um, I personally, ha I have never, I've never tried anything like that, so I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about, and that's also why I'm still curious. which probably <laughs> means I should try, but. Uh, um, is there? Is there? Do you think there is? There's real, real merit in in um, in in altering um, your experiencing of the world. To uh, some extent, I think there is merit because it'll it'll give you a new perspective on yourself and one that's that can be powerfully true in the moment. Mm -hmm. And you had no idea, you know, you had no idea that you. It's like you suddenly find that you you didn't know that you have arms, and suddenly you you find that you have arms, and it's it may be uh, of merit. Um, mm -hmm. um, so, but it's not like you can continue doing that. It's just some. It can give you a, a point. It can be a pointer. It can give you some openings. You know, in my wild youth, I had amazing experiences, but but uh, the thing is, they they sort of I keep them on my mantelpiece like a beautiful object, but they're long gone and they're not in the moment. But and if you're really interested in learning how you how you tick, how your mind works, how your conscious who you really are it's not really something that will help you five years later so you have to you have to follow your heart basically and and learn um the things that that are in every moment in your real life so so it's not so much about very special experiences they are really interesting and mind-blowing definitely but and true, but um, in in the long run, it comes it comes down to being with every moment and and being conscious of what you're doing every moment. You know, really 
having having a glass of water consciously and and really be aware of it um, without thinking of something else. And it goes beyond really um, uh, just being simply aware. It's something you. It's about something you can find um, to some extent if you are aware. So being aware of things is like, on the one hand, it's it's that's what it's about. But on the other hand, it's also like the prerequisite of finding out what's really happening and what's really happening uh, is so much more than than uh, our everyday consciousness uh, would ever you know believe uh, is possible it goes way beyond and and i think what we're doing that what i'm sometimes doing and I, and i know that what you are doing is like we are somehow trying to invoke something you know with this some of your music is like an invocation and it works for me even you know just like i know that some of my music works for some people it kind of it's kind of an invocation um of something that is beyond everything we know about ourselves what belongs to ourselves i think well Big, big. Well, let's talk about <laughs> something more let's, real. Let's, yeah. let's talk about uh, guitar tunings. <laughs> mm-hmm. But actually, seriously, the going back to the question, what have you put out? The last thing, the last real thing I put out was the the ambient album with Fabio Anili called Presence, and of course that that name came from me because Presence is. Uh, is a spiritual term that that means a lot to me and that um, is very very important and um, and some of these pieces that we found in our sessions that we did um, they really invoke that for me every time so there's something in there maybe it doesn't work for everyone but uh, uh, it works for me and I think for Fabio also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm still very happy with that album. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. I know that album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the in the mid '80s, when you started working with um, w- with samplers. Um, did, did you have an emulator or something? I had an emulator, but it, I bought it in 1990, I think. Okay. Okay. So that was a little bit later. Before that, I'm thinking, um, I think I used samplers. I I did use samplers in the in the mid eighties, but they didn't belong to me, but to my friend Hans, which is incidentally my neighbor now for mm-hmm. twenty years and an old friend. And at the time, he had lots of keyboards. He had more money than I had, and and he had a Mellotron, a real Mellotron wow. that I recorded. I did you know I did Frippertronic tape loops with the Mellotron, amazing, and. Um, 
and and we and we recorded our first album, which is called Camera Obscura. Mm -hmm. I think you probably have yeah. heard it. That was in '84. It was a bit ambient and a bit cold rocky, you know, something like that. Uh, and we had a fair light and you know these kinds of things. It's it's cool that you mentioned crowd rock because in a way, <laughs> in a way, you are you are a crowd rocker, really. <laughs> well, I grew up with it. So, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. I mean, yeah, de yeah. definitely. And Amadeus I mean, is deep in my genes. You know, yes. Amadeus was always my favorite band. You know? Yeah, and and I I know that I heard Can for the first time at your place, and <laughs> and uh, I really also like the mindset that you have of being sort of a still wanting to be a dilettante, right? Even though you spent your whole life <laughs> working with those tools. And you're, yeah. you're, you're most certainly, like, in, in, in some definition of the word, not a dilettante, but uh, in another... I, in way. some way, I am. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes. at, a couple of years ago, I, I, uh, I had a guitar teacher for a very short time from, I think, Cologne. I just met him by chance and um, and asked him... You know, so we played a little bit together for a few hours, and and he eventually said something like, and he was a guitar teacher professionally also, and he said he'd never met anyone who could play, who could not play guitar so well, you know. <laughs> so that's, I guess that's where I am, and and I like that, you know. I'm I'm, one thing that I notice about myself is that I totally lack any ambition, you know, that I'm not, I am, I don't, you know, I'm not interested in really, you know, uh, putting much effort into getting somewhere else. I want to mm -hmm. find out what's, what's here, you know, right now. Yeah, but you're getting excited about, about the music you make. Or the discoveries you make about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right? stuff stuff and is happening. You yeah. know, without any ambition, stuff is happening, yeah. um, and and very often not. You know, very often I play for two hours, like I said, and I'm frustrated because it's just boring, mm -hmm. uh, and and it's boring. It tends to be boring if I play if I try to play like, you know, or if I try to emulate some kind of a style or if I uh, am too concentrated on tools and, and um, well, but sometimes it works. So sometimes um, something surprising happens and, and on my own, sometimes it does. And, and very often I, it seems I need other people. So playing together with other people uh, is very important also. And, um, yeah, for and sure, for sure, and the yeah. and the, for instance, uh, uh, in a road Fripp, Fripp also uh, always talks about the fairy, the good fairy, who sometimes comes for a visit if you make music, um, and she only comes if you if your house is cleaned up, you know. So if your mind is somehow clean whatever that means and then you have a chance that the fairy can come to visit and and sometimes she does um, and it tends to happen when i play uh, um, free music um, so music that has that are not compositions but coming out of the moment 
um, and sometimes I know, okay, no, she's she's there. Uh, you know, something magical then yeah. happens. That's something I find is difficult to achieve from you alone. Uh, I don't know why that is. Yeah, you know, for me, maybe maybe you remember, but when I started studying in Bielefeld in '93, um, and shortly after we started meeting for you know doing sessions together with Leander Reininghaus, and um, uh, I was I was in a, a free improvising orchestra at university. Like yeah. every every uh, Wednesday night was the chaos orchestra. And, I vaguely uh, <laughs> remember that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. and that sort of was my introduction to. Um, uh, this like I inviting the the good fairy or <laughs> and and then we continued that with electronic and like when we started playing together we really played with a lot of electronics and only a little bit later than we had this sort of acoustic version of our trio with Leander mm -hmm. um, but these these uh, first electronic uh, get-togethers let's say and improvisations it, they have been like also kind of um, important in informing like my understanding that that this you um this 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 house that you're this clean house or whatever you say um, um that basically any any extension of your person um can be part can be part of that uh environment in which you invite something right yeah, yeah. and and uh and that has stayed stayed with me uh, ever since. And like like I, I have to mention this, like the sonic asteroids, like your tapes that you said were mm -hmm. from the early nineties. I I thought they were older, but um, there is like like these. There are these uh, musique concrète pieces on there, like the plastic bottle descending staircase or something, which was right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? You remember that? <laughs> yeah. With the oh yeah, that was a sampling piece, wasn't it? I yeah. sampled it. Yeah. Yeah. You sampled it, slowed it down, maybe, or something yeah. like that, and uh, it was it's an incredible piece. And yeah, 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 I forgot about that. Yeah, it's true. I used to, I used to profit two thousand sampler. I think that belonged to my neighbor, and I played more with it than my neighbor himself did use it. And uh, I loved it. It could be, it could, it could, um, it you could sample something and then play it forward and backward alternating you know mm -hmm. usually you you play like it's looping forward or you can turn it around it's looping backward and you could do this forward backward thing that that was unique at the time and i loved it, it it's <laughs> it you could create amazing textures that i never heard before mm -hmm. yeah are those uh, recordings up on bandcamp on your bandcamp Sonic asteroids. Uh, I think I did a I did a, a sort of a best of, and that's I think it's not part of it. You know, it's okay. like um, I I um, I put some stuff on it that was more like pieces, you know, like little compositions yeah, yeah. or sketches or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like like your fake fake jazz. Let's yeah, like you were the first person who. Uh, taught me the expression fake jazz also. Mm. <laughs> I haven't grown beyond that, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what do you do? Um, because we're, you were talking about the spirituality and, you know, but you have not really mentioned what, 
what do you do? Are there some sort of like retreats you go to or um, what kind of, uh, um, so, you know, tools, so to speak, um, do you use for your own spiritual path, whatever path. Yeah. yeah well i did i did many things over the years i really i took this up i don't know when i was 21 so like decades ago and it's gone a winded path um so over the years i in the 70s 80s i spent a lot lots of time with doing zen you know sitting before a wall for extended periods of time and getting hit with a stick like the Zen people do, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is great, uh, an interesting experience. And then um, I spent many years with a wonderful teacher called Tony Packer, who uh, a woman from originally from Germany, uh, who uh, lived in America as a Zen teacher. And she was the, she was supposed to be the, um, How do you say the? Um, I I had a Zen master who was Philip Caplow, and he's, he uh, he had a Zen center in in Rochester, New York, and she was like his his first nun. Or she was supposed to follow him when he was like dying. He, she would be Zen master. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she was from Germany, and she used to come to to. Germany uh, twice a year for many years and I always went there and she was instrumental uh, she was really a big influence um, and she went beyond Zen in many ways she she left behind all the strict um, forms and the, and the rules and and all the Japanese like dressing you know and and sort of boils it down to the real thing that's what it's really about uh, and and eventually she decided that she couldn't be uh, a Zen teacher in the uh, in the old sense any longer um, so she she went to her Zen master and said you know look I, I cannot do this any longer and um, and she she started her own school, uh, which was much more open. And uh, it was all about being, becoming conscious, really looking at your mechanisms, looking at, at the all all the unconscious ways in which you behave. And there are lots and lots and lots of them, many layers uh, that can be looked at. Um, It, it's a long topic. I cannot really uh, talk about this in, in enough. You know, it's really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's on the one hand, it's very simple, and on the other hand, it's really big. So anyway, I I was with her until 2003. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, she eventually died. I think in I forgot when 2000 eight or nine or something. In 2007 was the last time I saw her. I went to, I actually went to her center in upstate New York, Rochester. It's called Springwater Center. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wonderful people are continuing her work there. Um, but, but I, in the, during the 90s, I um, talked to an old friend, a woman who, um, 
who who I had learned Zen from originally, and she was also uh, a student of Tony Packer and of Philip Caplow. Um, she 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 lives in New York now. She's ten years older than me, and um, an interesting person. Also, she's uh, she's a professional singer, and she worked with Karlheinz Stockhausen at the time. She was in the ensemble who who performed the vocal piece Stimmung, mm-hmm. uh, which I recently saw live again. Really amazing. Anyway, she. She went to Japan with Karl-Heinz Stockhausen and the ensemble. And uh, I think in the early 70s, um, and and she got into contact with Zen. And so she learned that and she, she went this path and got enlightened and whatever. And then she lived in Cologne and, and, uh, and she was my first teacher. And I went to her in the 90s because I... I was stuck in in a way, and I was frustrated, and I didn't know you know what to do about it. And she recommended uh, something else, which was called the Ridwan School. There's a there's a teacher called uh, Almas A L M A S A A dot H dot Almas, and he he uh, he's from Kuwait, and he started the school. Uh, that's also called the diamond approach for many reasons. And this Ritwan school, um, I uh, so Dagmar recommended this to me. You know, why don't you go there and try it? And you know, it's more psychological, and they have a bit different approach. And so I went there in 2001, I think. Uh, and I've been with it ever since. So I've, I'm almost, you know, uh, almost 20 years now. And they they have a a very complex uh, view of uh, how our minds work, and it's it's all based in Western psychology. So the the roots and the stuff that we have to deal with and develop and look at. Um, are looked at with tools that come from Western psychology. And you, you would know all of them as you're a psychologist also. So, um, and then when, when these things are sort of out of the way to some extent, then it starts to become more, the, the more spiritual content uh, becomes to come in. And it's a smooth, uh, it's not, two different domains, but it's just one domain is how our minds works. And uh, they have a number of tools. One of them is called inquiry. And that's interestingly something that Tony Packer also did. Um, It's just simply looking at the experience in this moment in, in in an open way, not expecting anything, not trying to change it in any way, stay with it. That's also very Zen, you know, Zen is like, stay with whatever happens, don't go away, don't try to change it, don't have any ideas about it, just be open to it completely. And so it's like, it sort of, uh, I could understand that from the Zen point of view. And inquiry is done... um, 
alone or you can you can have a partner or even several partners so usually you have one partner so the the form is you um you sit with a partner and you you just describe your experience and and look at it for 15 minutes and then after that or whatever but usually 15 minutes and then after that you can talk about that and and your partner has listens to that and doesn't comment while you talk but afterwards you know he or she can ask questions so you can and then it gets turned around the other person does it um and it's a very simple practice but extremely powerful it, amazing things can happen if if you find a partner that is open and interested and uh, has a no bullshit attitude about this and uh, is curious, you know, um, so many, many things happen with this practice. So that's something I do. And then twice a year we meet in a big group of people and uh, some teachers from the school come from California uh, and then we look at some kind of topic, and there are there are like uh, lectures and and small groups, and uh, you know all sorts of things. And it's always very interesting, and it stays interesting. And in this context, I met I met a woman like a year ago from England, um, um, who's also in the school, but not not been there for so long. She was in Fintorn in Scotland, you know, and she was an experienced um, uh, a therapist in in with many techniques, and we we did this for a while, uh, you know, we did these inquiries, and um, and eventually I I saw that I couldn't tell her anything that she didn't already know. And she told me stuff about me that I have never thought about. And and then eventually I thought, you know, please be my therapist. So, and I never had a therapist. Yeah, I never had a therapist for my life. You know, I, I never really thought about this, but it was obvious, you know, she was, she was amazing, you know, very clear and, um, and helpful and very experienced. So since a year I'm having a therapist now and and so that's another thing that I never thought about and that that life brought me mm -hmm. without expecting it. And it's it's doing something with me. It's really changing uh, the way I function in subtle ways, but it, it does something. So I'm very um, very happy about this. Incredible. Yeah. And and you're only sixty seven, you said, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. The usual method is you start with doing therapy and maybe you take up meditation. The thing is just mm. when I was very young uh, I I read this Zen book and I thought, Well, you know, people get enlightened and everybody can get enlightened and it sounded like you know, I want to get enlightened and then all my problems will evaporate, you know, <laughs> and I'll be happy forever after. And mm. and so I did this meditation thing for decades and then eventually I found, yes, it. I learned important things 
but the deep psychological issues are not resolved. They, I sort of, I've, I'm pretty experienced uh, getting into this spiritual domain and sort of circumventing my problems, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's okay. It's, I can look at it this way. So it's, it's called spiritual bypassing. It's a term, you know, mm-hmm. as people do that. Uh, and so I, I keep learning about myself, and it's, it keeps being very interesting. So you hinted um, a couple times at your at your childhood, and uh, I know that both of your parents are dead. So um, do you feel like maybe talking a little bit about your childhood in terms of what? Uh, in terms in, of in terms of the let's say, the events and experiences that you think have kind of like shaped your life? Well, briefly, maybe my my father was um, supportive, but he was absent very often because he was a, he had a small printing company. So he was a, he was a, um, he was earning money, you know, for mm-hmm. the family and, and working hard also. And my mother uh, had me as her only child, um, and I was alone with her, more or less. And um, so I I don't have uh, any siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, however I am shaped and conditioned, Uh, is mostly coming from my mother mm-hmm. uh, and she has um, she has given me many good things but she has also given me many difficult things so I'm I'm trying to deal with my my conditioning that that is um, for instance the the fact that you Uh, think that I'm a nice person and friendly, that's something you said in the beginning. Mm. I can, yes, that's true, but it's, um, I can see that it it's connected to the conditioning with my mom because um, she, uh, that's how she wanted me. You know, the, mm-hmm. she, she, she wanted, um, she wanted me, she wanted a, a kid and she wanted me Not for my own interest, it's interest so much, but she wanted me for for her reasons. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm sort of a an extension of her self, her wishes, and and I've become uh, I my my personality has developed in some way that that was going along with what she always wanted and part of that is she wanted an intelligent friendly uh-huh. uh, you know guy um, son you know a, a small son at the time and and uh, um, that's I've become that and I was I was intelligent I don't know if that's um, if that's something that uh, I've done for her or that I'm not sure what how this came about. If it's my genes or whatever, and it's some, of course, a, it's some a certain kind of intelligence, and in some other ways, I'm stupid. So it's like, 
but you know I was good at school mostly but I was not allowed to become really alive you know and loud and expressive so I am I tend to be very you know um uh, not not so not so expressive mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't be an expressive singer in a rock band and scream. That's something that seems very far away from what I feel is possible for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes I think maybe I should try to do that. <laughs> uh, so so I'm working on that. And in the Ritwan School, uh, we have one term uh, that's that school where I'm where I'm I've been with for twenty years. Uh, there is a Sufi term. There are there are aspects of the soul that are like the uh, f- faculties or aspects like uh, something that's very important, uh, and they have this color code thing. It's called the Latifa, and the red Latifa is something uh, that has to do with the heart and with love. And with uh, rage, also, you know, with aliveness, with being ex- expressive, uh, and there are other, th- you know, there's other aspects like the green Latifa that's more like uh, being compassionate, or the white Latifa is being having a, a will that's, if it's true, is not your personal ego will, but it's something bigger that just happens. Mm-hmm. And there are other Latifas, and the red, especially, is something that was like cut down big deal by the by the uh, um, by the conditioning from my mother. So I I am learning to rediscover that, and I've come a certain way. So I I recognize that the red, this red, is is happening in me, and it's. I find it, my body plays a big role. So being conscious and being alive in my body and discovering my body and being um, moving, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm being in a movement group where we move just intuitively without music, mm-hmm. just finding out what the body needs and wants to do. Um, uh, and that's, it's doing amazing things to me, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm I'm doing, a, for instance, there are 10 or 12 people in a group and um, they're sitting there and I have 15 minutes to move in a big room. So I, I do a 15 minutes movement improvisation in front of these people um, and I feel completely uh, present and, and, and happy in myself while I'm doing it and it's, it's expressive and it's beautiful. At least that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I'm learning these things, and um, it's very interesting, you mm-hmm. know, to op- open doors. And there are many doors that can be opened, and to me, many doors are still closed. But that's okay. The, you know. the, the punk rock singer is still closed. That door is still closed. It's not <laughs> not possible this year. Maybe 2022. <laughs> And secretly working on <laughs> streaming in my car, but well. yeah. So, so uh, when I when I called you nice and friendly, uh, 
what 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 kind of reaction does that generate within you like does it does it just remind you of what your mother wanted you to be or is that is that actually kind of like a negative emotion when you hear that well it's um I know it's it's true. Uh, you know, I learned to, uh, enough about it, so I can see I can see the the shape of it, mm -hmm. and I can see it as a limitation. You know, I see yeah. that I'm I'm limited, and I see myself as limited in many ways. But um, on the other hand, I've learned to love myself. Really, there's there's a deep um, there's a deep acceptance of all my limitations and, and shortcomings. And it's just the shape and it's just arbitrary. Everyone is limited in some way. So, you know, mine are not worse or just there's just my limitations. So this being a nice person like my mother wanted me to be. It's okay. So that's what I find. That's the material that I work with. It's like yeah. if you have a guitar and, and you're not really, you know, it's difficult to play for some reason, you work with it until you get along with it. So, mm -hmm. so, so I'm perfectly fine. You know? Yeah. So you were born about like a generation, seven, eight years after the war, right? Yeah, in '54. '54. So okay. Okay. Yeah, January '54. So nine years after the war. Yes. Yeah. So how was that? Uh, was the war still present for you as a as a child? No, but um, well, in, except for uh, I guess there were more ruined buildings, but they were like you know just normal. And mm -hmm. so that was all uh, history, and and um, no, there was nothing about the war. On the other hand, of course, my parents were involved in it in some way and suffering from it, mm -hmm. and and they were conditioned big big time, mm -hmm. and that conditioning of them is like uh, they they gave it to me. So you know. In some way, I'm still conditioned by the war, I guess. Around Christmas, I I dug uh, through a heap of stuff that I had taken from my mother's household and never looked at it again. And there were like a big package of letters and... and um, um, one of the things that I found was a newspaper from... I forgot, I think 1942 or something, uh, full of, you know, Nazi uh, stuff in the headlines and uh, propaganda and everything, uh, because he was the middle of the war. And uh, on the backside, there were like death, uh, little, de how do you say, Todesanzeigen, uh, like death notices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of them was like circled, and that was my uncle, the, who I never met. And um, so it was my mother's um, brother. And uh, um, so there is something about uh, the way that he, he apparently, that's what I heard, he he looked a little bit like me, or I looked a little bit like him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the way um, 
he was very much uh, loved in the family and what what he meant to the family and what a tragedy it was that he died and um so there's some connection there i feel like i i am somehow connected to this person that i never met and um uh, the way my mother wanted uh, a child um and I think a son, I think she wanted her brother back in some way, possibly, mm-hmm. you know. So there's all kinds of things that are somewhere in, in sitting there. and But it's not something that really plays a, a, a real role in my life. It's just something I noticed that happened and it's been part of my life somehow. But it's, it's kind of interesting. It, it is, yeah. 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 And yeah, the the more you dig, right? The more <laughs> the more you find. That's right. Yeah. And, but I tend to dig more I'm tend to be more interested in 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 right now mm-hmm. without um without without trying to analyze much. You, yeah. you can analyze it, but uh, analyzing will only bring you that far and 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 the real work has to be done uh, right now. So that's that's pretty clear to me. And and you can acknowledge all these things. And it's just an arbitrary um, conditioning that that I have. That everyone has it in in some way. And and looking at other people, um, uh, I'm I'm very lucky. I think you know. I my life was. Good life. I was loved. Um, I I've, I have lots of love and trust in myself. Uh, it, that just it is in me, and that some somehow was instilled in me by my parents, uh, despite of all their problems and and things that they they wasn't that weren't optimal. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they still managed to install some kind of a or instill. Somehow, I feel this in me, and so I'm pretty lucky. And many of my friends in the Red One School have serious, uh, you know, they really had really hard uh, um, childhoods. And and compared to them, I think I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, I feel pretty much happy, you know. Yes. Yeah. So my baggage is is it's there and i can deal with it but uh, and it's painful sometimes but uh, you know other people have so much horrible things in that they have to deal with so i'm kind of happy with that yes yes it's it's also though that it's relative to your experiencing right like sometimes uh it can be little things that set off something and uh so you you um, mentioning that your father took away the guitar because you had bad grades at school. That's <laughs> kind of like kind of a funny funny I, I story. Was in in puberty. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was in puberty. I think uh, there were all sorts of reasons, and music was not one of them. So yeah. you know, but he, he tried to, and then eventually I I had to re- repeat a uh, uh, how do you say sitzenbleiben to re- you know repeat a year. Mm-hmm. Because I was very bad at at history, Latin, and physics, I think. <laughs> and uh, well, 
Hey, so from uh, just in in your lifetime, you've seen an incredible uh, development of technology, right? Like when I think right. back at the first first conscious thoughts, let's say maybe I that was in the late seventies, mm -hmm. um, but um, you kind of like saw the whole uh, computer uh, revolution. I saw the moon. I saw the moon landing on yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> incredible. And, that was and I know, I, you know, I, uh, well, like you know, like normally I'm not that kind, you know, not that interested in pointing this out. But for yeah. you, with like knowing you and like your incredible uh, intelligence, also with with today's technology, and you actually at some point becoming a programmer, as you said before, and that's your main gig, right? And so. Um, Uh, it's just mind-boggling, right? Like maybe uh, in the 50s you had a radio and then at some point maybe black and white TV or... Yes, yeah, yes, and, <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. yes. And, uh, um, and then like just, just 20 years later you were, you were uh, doing Frippertronics in a way, right? So it's, uh, it, is, it is amazing. And then going, mm -hmm. going like from, from the late 70s, early 80s to the early 90s and everything, uh, all the equipment is digital and you could loop uh, at 16-bit quality, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of incredible, like this, this whole yep. story. And uh, do you find that there um, have ever been like these really huge... Um, Uh, changes of paradigm in your lifetime when it comes to just the technology, or do you f do you experience everything to be just like a like a logical uh, sort of uh, progression? Uh, in terms of music technology, or more general, both. Um, Not sure. It's both. I guess it's um, on the one hand, it's uh, it feels like a, a very constant progression that's more or less smooth, with little jumps mm -hmm. and and surprising. You know, the first sample, the Fairlight sampler with you know, or the emulator, mm -hmm. for instance. Um, that was pretty mind blowing, but. Um, Other than that, it was like, you know, I eventually had my first computer and it sucked. And, you know, and and uh, um, then I had my first uh, Atari computer that could be used to record MIDI. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but it was not, it was not a, it was not that mind blowing. It, it wasn't, it was like something new but but the the development generally felt like i i remember now you working with uh logic or notator or whatever it was notator, called. Yes, yeah yeah, yes. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. and some of the some of the pieces on the on these ancient uh um, cassettes were done with that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah And when, yeah. when when did you get into programming? And how? Um, 
when I when I um, when I uh, I started in 1985 with programming because um, I had spent many years studying English <laughs> mostly to become an English teacher so um, I read Shakespeare and, and these things um, for many years and spent time with that and, and learned lots of different things. Uh, and then eventually when I was starting to learn this phase, when, you, when you're becoming a teacher, you learn the theoretical things first and then you, 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 they put you in front of a class and you learn how to deal with the class and how to do this and, you know, practically. And for two years and when i started doing that they they called us together and they said you know it's it's nice that that it's nice that you're doing that and please continue doing it because after that you'll have a complete uh professional uh thing you, you can you have a sheet of paper that says you know you're a teacher but you won't get a job because uh at the moment we have too many teachers in English, especially. So you'll be out of work, you know, so it won't be of any use to you except for that sheet of paper. So, uh, and it didn't, it never felt like a vocation for me anyway. I, I, I had started learning English because I had a, I had an uncle who was an American and I had some kind of a, um, there was a connection to the English language. For, for, I don't, I'm not sure how it worked, but I, in the beginning, in the first years at school when I learned English, I, I always had the best grades in English without ever doing anything, you know. I just could do it. So it felt like, okay, uh, actually I was more interested in doing physics or something and becoming an astronomer you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but I suck at math, you know, I'm really, really not good at math. Um, my mind, I'm interested, but my, my brain refuses to be good at math. Okay, so uh, I had to do something. So I started learning English uh, as a teacher. And then, and then at this point, uh, I I had to throw it away because they didn't need me and I wasn't too unhappy because I couldn't envision, you know, me being standing in front of a class and teaching them grammar, which I still hated, you know, <laughs> and giving them grades. That was like, why should I do that? You know, so, and then a, f a friend of me uh, who had done similar, similar things, um, studied similar uh, uh, topics he he uh, he had started uh, throwing this way and learning uh, to program on some kind of school that he could go to, uh, and then I I did this also. So I went there and and I went to the school and did one and one and a half years of learning programming, different kinds of programming, and um, it right from the start it felt like wow, it's something concrete. I felt like, you know, they gave us a little task, you know, you mm -hmm. know, write a program that just take you, 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 
you input a sentence and it turns the words around, you know, something stupid like that. And it's a program like this big, mm -hmm. but you start doing that and you, have, you get a vague understanding of data and, and how to manipulate them. And then you, you write this and you run the program and you get an error. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the error and think, hmm, oh, you know, I did this mistake and then you fix the mistake and then it runs and then it does what it's supposed to do. And mm -hmm. that was something I didn't know before because when you study English and when you learn to interpret some romantic English poem by Wordsworth, <laughs> it's, it's nothing, you know, it's like you can do that, but it's like, it's, it doesn't feel like you really have an ability or you can really do yeah. something. It's not like a, I can do something. It's not like that. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, not something you can show to your mother, right? As something instance, you accomplish, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And it, it's not really something that makes you happy because, mm -hmm. um, oh, it didn't make me happy because mm -hmm. it felt like it's too vague, maybe. And and in programming, you, it's like a craft. It's like you're doing like, it's like you learn how to fix a, a heating system or the toilet or something. You learn how to do that, and then you can do it, and it works. Okay. And people give you money for that. And it's something you can look at and you can say, I did this and I know how to do it. So it's it's more like a craft. It's more like a Handwerk in German. It's, mm -hmm. it's something you do with your hands and some parts of your brain. But it's like plumbing in some way, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that's... That's how I got into computers, and and I'm still doing it, and it's it's okay. It's sometimes it's fun. It's, it's sometimes it's interesting. I'm not really enthusiastic about it, and and for many years I stopped being really really interested in new developments because there are so many, and it's so fast, and it's getting so complex. At some point, I, I stopped, you know, really going along with that because it would be a full-time job more than a full-time job. And it's, I, I have some abilities that are uh, very important, like SQL databases and, and some programming language. And so you can do a gazillion things with that. And that kept kept me alive for decades now and, you know, and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so you 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 uh, were on the path to becoming a teacher, and then you didn't. <laughs> right. right. And because I was wondering before, when you were mentioning Tony, for example, right, as your mm -hmm. teacher, right, um, in how far do you think? I don't want to say how if you if you become some sort of teacher by being with a teacher or how do you how do you see that? Like, is there any aspect of what you do where you think that you are passing on something? You mean spiritual things, for instance? Well, yeah, or musical Whatever. things. Yeah. Well, in music, I I see there, I see anything that I can do. I see. A, a hundred people who can do it better than I can do it, you know. Uh, so that I don't feel like 
that's not something I'd, I'd be very interested in, in teaching, you know, children how to hold the guitar and, and, and <laughs> you know, like my guitar teacher always said, you know, you have to hold your hand, you know, on the guitar like this. And he has to be some space, you know, you, you don't play like this, but you play like this, there has to be some space. A mouse has to be able to pass through, yeah. you know. <laughs> So I, I have very limited experience of being a guitar teacher. I did this a couple of times, and it wasn't very uh, much fun. You know, I could do it, but it's like, no, no not really. What, what about with the music itself? You said, that you? You, you, said, you said that there are other people who do things better than do you. Yes. Um, Uh, but that's that's not what what music is about, right? No, of course not. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. But technically, you know, as, yeah. if, uh, if I look at myself as a musician in in a technical term who plays the guitar uh, in a certain way, um, that's uh, or who does, you know, uh, who handles music software or whatever I do. Um, That's not something I would boast with, you know. I'm. I think I'm pretty mediocre, really. I'm pretty. I'm getting along, and I'm. I can do many things, um, well, but not really great. Um, I. I still think I suck at playing guitar solos. I never really. I suck at playing fast. Uh, there are so many things I cannot do, and <laughs> really, and the and I and I also see. That I'm, I'm, I seem to be gifted in some ways that have to do with rhythm, uh, you know, polyrhythms, and and being able to handle complex rhythmic situations very easily, mm -hmm. more than most people that I know, really. So there seems to be a natural thing that it, that I seem to be able to do, but it's I wouldn't know how to teach this really, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's difficult to teach if you don't have it, if you don't have that gift, if you don't feel... Uh, and also, uh, you know, I learned this probably when I listened to strange bands like Soft Machine and, and all the early 70s uh, progressive bands who played in all sorts of meters, but in four, you know. <laughs> so I, I, it was, it's in my blood and, and somehow I learned that, but I wouldn't want to teach that. Mm -hmm. And 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 in spiritual terms, being a spiritual teacher, you know, at sometimes for for some time, I thought I could teach things to people, but I'm beyond that. You know, now I can uh, I can see that this is also very limited. You know, it, and there's. Um, I, I could possibly become a teacher uh, in a limited way and and teach beginning stuff to people who are really interested. I, I could do that, you know. Uh, you know, being being aware and be meditating and and uh, I don't know, feel your feet and be be aware of be aware of the space around you and and all sorts of things, but. It, That also feels like uh, 
so many people <laughs> doing this already. You know, why should I bother? You know, mm-hmm. unless unless somebody comes to me and wants that. Yeah. But that would be personal. You know, I, I'm working with the people who are working with me. Really, we're doing. I have a, a very good friend in Southern California, a German woman, an old friend. Um, we've been working with each other for. I don't know, five years every week or more than five years, probably. I don't know, very long. So, you know, we're, she's also in that school. So we're doing um, this inquiry thing on a weekly basis. So I talk about my experience of the moment and whatever comes up. If nothing comes up and I'm just feel boring or if I'm full of exciting mm-hmm. insights or if I'm full of, uh, you know, dreadful uh, uh, problems, whatever it is. And and so she she knows every square centimeters of my soul. And, and she is somewhat similar to me, but then also different. And I know all every square centimeters of her. So in a way, she's my teacher. And then after that, I'm her teacher, and that's like a mutual kind of a teaching situation. That's that's just I'm totally grateful for that, you know. So on a small scale, it uh, it works. That I could be uh, that I could teach something, you know, and mm-hmm. in, in a limited kind of way, and that it's wonderful. That if it's happening, it's it's magic, you know. Yeah, it's wonderful indeed, and that's also like what I was kind of like going for with that question a little bit hmm. to 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 uh, raise a little bit of awareness that we do we always have some sort of I don't want to say it's like it's like a big responsibility, but there's some sort of re- responsibility that we're always also in a teaching position if we are interacting with other people just by that's just by true. being who we are. So yeah. it's not by calling ourselves teacher or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah uh, that's. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're either aware of it or not, and you, you do your best, you know. And you can think about it a lot, and then maybe you can do it a little better. But uh, I think we, I believe, we always do our best, and if we're, if we're dicks, and if we're, you know. <laughs> You know, if we're really bad people, we are, we also do our best. We we do what we can, and and it's just happening. You know. Yes. Yeah. And so, unless I mean, in your situation, you have students, and you have you have a technique, and you have a gazillion things to teach them, and you know exactly what they are doing wrong. You can point them to it, and that's. Um, then it's a little bit more concrete. I think that that's that's a different mode of being uh, responsible and being a teacher. That's, sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Even even though I think that even if you're in a position like that, where you sort of have knowledge to pass on that is has proven to work for some people, let's say, mm. Uh, mm. there's there's still it's still important to also have the other side of the coin or the other face of oneself available and the other side of one's soul available to to work on that more intuitive level of of exchanging uh uh 
of exchanging well i don't know which word to use here like whatever is circulating right mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. and uh yeah and i mean just coming back to the one to what i said at the very beginning if you were without probably ever thinking about it just some sort of mentor for me uh simply because you know we liked each other we became friends and you you you, we played music together. You showed me your record collection. You played me Magma, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, Magma, hey. <laughs> still one of my favorite bands. Yes, yes. yes, yeah. Is that? I think that would be a topic for, to speak about. You know, what is exactly what what's happening if you're listening to Magma and and it really draws you in? You know what. What ha what is it that mm. is happening, and what does it to you, and what what kind of place we are in, invoking or being sucked into, or, or you know, what it must be, or uh, any music that really, really touches us deeply. You know, it could be anything. It could be you know classics or Bach or whatever, and. So what what is happening there? That's an interesting question. I think you know what what place is that, and what does it mean? What does it, what importance does it have for ourselves? Uh, especially if it's places that open that we had no idea existed. You mm -hmm. know, it's mm -hmm. that somebody else opens. You know, magma plays, and you have never listened to it before, and you go. Wow, you know, I didn't know this world existed, and now I know it, and uh, and um, that's that's an interesting phenomenon. I think um, that could be a topic for more hours. Yes, know. yes, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because also, like, for uh, I, I'm sometimes wondering what is an equivalent of that experience that we have listening to magma I'd say for people who are not who are not listening to music right i mean i'm just just wondering what what kind of material do they uh interact with right you mean people who don't listen to music at all yeah well it could be books or i don't know uh, it's a certain kind of richness that you find in yourself that that is open, that is made accessible by the music. Um, that mm. people who don't listen to music or who don't have this access, mm -hmm. uh, they miss that. But it doesn't apparently it doesn't work for them. Mm. Um, but you know maybe they have something else. And uh, I I have my wife. You know I can let's. Let's talk about my wife. She's not in the room. She's the most wonderful, you know, person about the most wonderful person I met and highly intelligent and everything. But she's not really into music or spirituality, you know. But I, I feel like there's just as much richness in her as I find in myself. And I'm not sure how it works, but it's there. Um Maybe not these places uh, that we know as musicians or as music listeners, but something else. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I don't I don't know. I just yeah. just put that question out there. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, man. That was uh that was good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It was fun. Yeah. Thank you yeah, for this. Thank you. And uh, thank you for this also. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this this uh a format of doing these interviews is completely open for me and I'm just uh if at all like introducing some uh people that are important to me mm. uh, you're being one of them right and uh um it's not it's not about promoting anything really <laughs> sure <laughs> yes but anyway um I will I will give people links to your van camp and stuff so they can and if I find the sonic asteroids I will link to those <laughs> it's in the, it's right at the bottom it's like the earliest uh, about the earliest thing yeah uh, yeah yeah strange strange music you know. yeah it's super great though <laughs> and it's you know for me it's still uh, with you like even like the new stuff like it it everything you do has like something special about it that's why you you always pointing out that uh you're not good technically or it's kind of ridiculous to me because um i hear i hear the uh the int intricacy of your taste May maybe it's no more than that right maybe it's just your taste oh, possible. Yeah. Uh, but 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 uh, but uh, that's great right and that's that's mm -hmm. kind of like what i refer to and that's what i get excited about like generally when i mm. uh, find something like a, any piece of art that i enjoy or even any uh, piece of unwanted art um, <laughs> right <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> okay uh, michael so um uh, tschüss <laughs>